Grandpa and Grandma had a farm. That farm was the source of much joy for my brother and I as we were in our younger years. We would go out and explore all different parts of that farm. Grandpa didn't farm anymore, but he still had the land. And we'd go out and about and look in the hay barn that Grandpa had built, look in the chicken coop where there used to be chickens. And we'd just explore as young boys are prone to do. I'll never forget the day we came upon something we hadn't come upon before. It didn't seem right. It seemed a little bit out of place. It was a single, solitary wire. I studied it. My younger brother studied it. Looked at it. There wasn't any barbed wire, barbs on the wire. We couldn't exactly determine what exactly it was. We noticed it was held to the post by these unusual knobs, which drew our curiosity even more. Well, we entered into a sort of a back and forth of what it was and what it might be when my younger brother decided he would go ahead and courageously grab the wire. And he learned a lesson that he will never forget and that I found hilarious. (laughs) Our series that we're in right now sometimes feels a little bit like that to me as a preacher. I am dealing with some cultural issues that are difficult and that the world has shifted on. And it's like all of you are taking great amusement watching the preacher grab the wire. We are dealing with some tough issues and some tough topics, but even though the world has shifted, how we're going to deal with today's topic and all the topics is in a different way. You know what I like about Gen Z? You know, my, my really favorite observation about you all right here is that we are watching you change the language. You know, men, many of you may not know how to speak Gen Z. They're, they're actually inventing words. Um, it seems to me like some of the words I have to look up and Google to determine what they... Somebody said that was Riz, and I don't, I don't know what Riz <laughs> meant. None of you know what that means. Uh, uh, somebody called my sermon a little mid, and that apparently is an insult. Um, the thing about Gen Z that I've determined about their new language is they hate syllables. So if you, if you just want to learn to speak Gen Z, just take a word and condense it down to one syllable. So my name is Toby Levering. I'm the preach. That's Gen Z. Uh, they are hoping when I preach, I will slay. But, could be a little sus. Gen Z is changing how we talk about things. And this morning I hope to... Now, I know this is my love and hate with the the handout, is that all of you read parts of the handout. You don't read the announcements. Why would we worry with those? (laughs) But you look at the sermon, and you look at the sermon title, and you, you get a little tense. Because... The world has shifted so much. But today, like Gen Z, I hope we can talk about the matter of life 
not from a political issue, not even from a moral issue, although I think it certainly there is the case that it's a moral issue. But this morning, I, I, I want to address the matter of life from a spiritual and biblical issue. Now, now you've got some fill-in-the-blanks. Um, that's really not as important as opening this book because we have so many scriptures today. If you're a note-taker, you want to write these down. And if you're already sitting there posturing yourself with, I don't, I've already tuned this guy out. I already know what he's going to say. I, I want you to be tolerant of God's word and maybe not listen to me, but hear what the word has to say on the matter of life as we talk about it in a spiritual and biblical way. And we're going to be using a lot of scriptures today. We got a, we got a, 10 pounds of flour in a 5-pound sack. So, you want to write those down. First of all, we acknowledge that culture has shifted pretty hard over the last 50 years or so on the matter of life. Uh, Just giving you some facts. In the past 50 years, uh, by most conservative estimates, there have been 62 million souls aborted. Now to give you some perspective, I did some math. That is that is more than a 9/11 event every single day for the last 50 years. That's a significant important cultural but but does the word have anything to say about those 62 million souls. Uh, Abortion has moved from being a terrible kind of tolerable thing. I'm not saying I agree with that, but uh, saying, you know, uh, uh, the, the term you heard in the 70s was it should be safe, legal, and rare. Uh, Today, it's moved much farther into a reproductive right. Uh, they've moved into this being a, a health care decision. I'm, 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 I'm trying hard to, to give you this objectively, but, but doctors, and we've got a few in the audience, when they go through medical school are, are sworn to a Hippocratic oath, which very simply is to do no harm. When Christy went up for her procedure up, in, up at KU Med, you know, there's lots of things that they could have done, but, but, but within the guide rails of the Hippocratic Oath, these doctors said, we know we can do all these things, but we want to do as little as possible so we don't cause more harm than good. Now, the culture has shifted, and I know we've got people in the pews that have been affected by this issue personally or within your family, and I want to address that. I remember one time after I'd spoken on this matter, someone contacted me and uh, this person was very upset and I determined it was not wise to respond to this upsetness in an email. And so I went to their home, husband, wife, it's the wife who was 
visibly upset. When I say visibly upset, I mean, you've seen a wet cat, right? I mean, like, like really, I know I'm not making light of it. She was, she was mad. She was mad that I wouldn't get mad. She was mad that I wouldn't argue. She had come for a fight and I had not, I was not in that posture. And, and she was so worked up about this issue, it was so emotional to her. And her husband was trying to moderate the discussion and and he said, what about, what about, what about people who've had ab- abortions? And it instantly became clear to me why she was so upset. Now, I needed her to know what I didn't say that day, but what I'm saying to all of you is this. I don't really get the luxury of not addressing what the book addresses. I I need to preach it clearly and succinctly and applicably and truthfully and honestly. But I want you to know that I've thought about this issue. And I've prayed about this issue. And so before you write me off, I, I, I want you to know that I am not attacking you or anyone who's had an abortion. I want you to know, especially and certainly, and please hear me, for those women who've experienced a miscarriage, that that these are two totally separate worlds, and our culture has brought these two things together. And, and, And that's not what we're talking about. I talked to a lady this morning who has been through that. Tragically lost a child wasn't her fault, wasn't a doctor's fault, was the natural recourse of living in a broken world. That's not what I'm talking about. When we talk about life, and specifically abortion, we're talking about an intentional, purposeful decision to kill a living being made in the image of God. And so today, I want you to open your Bibles as we attempt to understand this issue spiritually and biblically and please don't laugh as the preacher touches the wire number one we open up to Genesis chapter one and I hope that you will Genesis chapter one we can find so many answers to so many complicated issues in our world just right there in the first few chapters of Genesis the first thing that we see is that God loves life. He loves life. I love, one of the things I love about family camp is that it's all families together, and we, I'm sometimes hanging out with the dads, and we're enjoying watching our kids playing together, whether it's on the the Nash Splash, (laughs) around the campfire, hopefully nobody's losing an eye, but we're enjoying our children and watching them grow and live. Your father in heaven is like that. He loves you. He loves life. That's why he created life. Verse 27, if you're in Genesis 1. The, the writer <clears throat> writes these words, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
This is why human life is so precious. This is why murder is wrong. No matter what age or stage a human being is, all human beings, turn to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we're told this, whoever sheds blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. God takes this very seriously. And why? The next, next part of the verse. For God made man in his own image. You're a masterpiece. You're created by God and for God's glory. And you're made in his, his image. And for anyone to take your life, whether you're three months conceived or 103 years old, from God's perspective, is wrong. He's the author of life. He blesses life. Genesis chapter 1, go back there. Verse 28, he says, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God creates this world and everything in it. And what is his will in that moment for mankind? To reproduce, to multiply, to fill the earth, to, to take dominance over it. Because man is special, set apart, Gary talked about this morning, from the beast. Why, why was that God's will? Because God loves life. He, he desires to see it thrive and grow and flourish. Because he is the bless, not only the author of life, but the blesser of life. Turn a few books over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is the context here. I would be fair to the text. Is God speaking to his people, Israel, in covenant with them, But he talks about that God has this beautiful arrangement in mind, but he desires for them to make that choice, for them to choose the blessings that God has. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, verse 19, summing up this choice, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants or your offspring may live. God is the author of life. He's the blesser of life. And God desires life. Both physically, he loves to watch couples get married. He loves new families. He loves little babies. He loves it when your grandkids step into the world. That's all the blessing of God. And he loves to see that grow and flourish. That is the heart of God. In fact, turn to Psalm 139. We're going to step over into the middle of the scripture now. Psalm 139 tells us that God works in the womb. For you formed my inward parts. This is King David speaking. 
You form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David knew that God worked in his mother's womb to create him and give him the life and bless that life. Job knew this. Turn back one book to Job 31. Job 31. We read in verse 15, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? You see, God is working in the womb. You may or may not know we have a few young couples who have some good news to share. The, the Bannisters, Alexander and Zeta uh, Bannister, uh, have, are expecting a little one's coming. Uh, Brendan and Carol Weathers are expecting a little one's coming. Due in April, both of these babies... That's a beautiful, wonderful work of God. Those young mothers are sitting there right now, and they are creating a head. Well, they're not. But God's using their womb and making that, knitting that child together. This is what the psalmist says. This is what King David knows. This is what Job knows. This is what the scriptures tell us, is that you and I are works of God. And the tragedy of abortion is that it stops a beating heart. And they went in for the first time to hear, they get the sonogram and to hear that separate heartbeat. And how powerful of a moment that is. And the sadness is that Abortion, be it by a pill or by a surgical procedure, flatlines that heartbeat. You see, when we think about this issue, not politically, not uh, 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 morally, but but we begin to step back and say, what does God think of this? I've told you many times before, my grandfather was a, a woodworker. And you could go out in his wood shop and you could see lots of different projects in various stages. From, from selecting the wood, to putting it together, to sanding, to finishing, to, to, to stuff that was on the lathe, to stuff that was waiting for a, a varnish, a sealer. But they were all in various stages. How would it have, have impacted my grandfather if I had gone in and just begun to rip apart every end of the shop from one end to the other? I would... I would be dishonoring my grandfather because I'm dishonoring his work. Second is, when we think about this from a biblical perspective, one thing that's very interesting in my study, under the law, and if you're not familiar with this, there's Old Testament, New Testament, the Jewish people living on the Old Covenant, pre-Christ, but it was showed to lead us to Christ, but there's over 600 laws in the Old Testament And praise God, all of those laws were fulfilled in Christ. But one of the things that's very interesting to me is that the the, the view of the law in terms of a pre-born 
child. Scripture refers to the unborn and to the born interchangeably. One is fully human as the other. I want to give you some examples. Exodus. Legally, under the law here, is where we found the law in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus chapter 21. This is, a, this is kind of a golden nugget here. I don't know if I've, how much interest you would have in this, this particular point. Chapter 21 of Exodus, verse 22 through 25. The scripture reads this way. When men strive together, when two men are having an argument, you know, throwing hands, as, as Gen Z would say. Um, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, now talking about the child that's been uh, prematurely born, uh, if there is harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. The point is, there was no legal distinction between that child that was in the womb and a child that was maybe just born a couple of years ago. The world slices and, and, and dices and, and, and gets real particular. Well, this is a fetus and this is a baby and all of that. But the scripture doesn't do that and the law didn't do that either. Turn to the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, God, speaks to him and he says to Jeremiah that he was known before he was born. He says this, um, before I, this is, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God knows us in the womb. He forms us in the womb. And at least in Jeremiah's case, he appointed him to a specific role. Most of you go to Luke chapter 1. One of you needs to turn off your cell phone. Luke chapter 1. Now what's interesting here is, if you know the background, what is Luke's occupation? A doctor. We are getting a clinical diagnosis from Dr. Luke, and he says this concerning concerning John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that would be John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, Elizabeth didn't cause John to leap. John did that of his own accord. When he heard, little babies can hear, they can see, they can feel pain in the womb. We know that medically. We, We are completely aware of what babies can do and feel and see. It tells us that John the Baptist leaped when he heard Mary's voice. Because he knew that another baby, his cousin, was the son of God. So legally, spiritually, physically, preborn children are just as human as all of us sitting here. Those two children I mentioned that have not been born, they're just as human as you and I, according to God. We know this. I remember... 
It's been over 19 years ago now, on a Wednesday night. I was standing up here doing a devotional. Christy was six months pregnant or so with Tyler. Maybe, maybe not quite. I don't remember exactly how far along she was. But as soon as I finished and stepped out and I went to go, and she was sitting right about here, and I went to go get my things and we were going to go to class and she was sitting right about here. And she had this huge smile on her face. She said, the baby kicked. The baby moved. Before we knew Tyler's name, God did. There was life. Christy didn't make that happen. We know this on so many levels, despite what the world and what the culture may say. If we're honest with the scripture, and and more importantly, if we let the scripture be honest with us, we can see. Third, Satan is the exact opposite. Now, he's not... He's not parallel to God, okay? He's, he's below God because he's an angel. But his view on life is exactly the opposite of the Lord's. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life abundant. Satan's nature, his whole nature is death. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 40. John chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 44. John chapter 8. Jesus said this, and he was speaking to the teachers at the time, but note what he says. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father, Satan's desires. Now, note what he says about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Now, Satan's nature is death. Satan will also use people to make that happen. What we're watching overseas right now is a lot of death happen. And Satan loves that. He does. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, the story of when Jesus comes into the world, there's this interesting story about King Herod. And King Herod was outwitted by the Magi. And I won't read the whole story if you want to, you can. It's Matthew chapter 2. But centering on verse 16, it says this, Herod became furious and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. Now, we read that as a factual statement. I just want to let you sit with that for just a moment. And imagine if you have a child two years old or younger and how they enforced this wicked edict and stealing these children from their mother's arms as no doubt they gra- cried and cr- begged and pleaded And maybe they would kill them right there or take them off. But it is a tragedy that Satan loved. And he was able to use Herod's will to accomplish his will. That's because that's his nature. You heard the story about the tragic shooting at Robb Elementary. It was just 
just a little over a year ago, May 24th of last year. What was your reaction when you saw the video footage of the elementary school? What did you think about when you thought about those kids in the classroom who were just going for a day at school and a madman who Satan used ended their lives so tragically? What did you think about that? If you're human, the natural reaction is just a visceral one, just, just weeping. For those children, that's, that's, that's the right way to think about it, because that's innocent life being murdered. So when we see murder, when we see Satan at work, you need to know this, evil always first must devalue life. Unless I have the power of Herod, I have to be able to in order for, for people to be okay with this level of, of genocide, I have to somehow devalue them. Think about the Holocaust. Some six million Jews were taken in trains to gas chambers as people met in churches. And how, how could they live in these diametrically opposed... Why weren't they out there? Why weren't they protesting? Why weren't they saying something? Why weren't they standing? Why weren't they defending the rights of these innocent Jews? Because a lie had worked to the culture, which is what we're working on today, that some people are not fully people. Some, as the book Animal Farm, if you've read that, some animals are more equal than others. It's the same argument for slavery, by the way. Some people are less equal than others. That's that's a lie of Satan. He devalues people. And his goal then is so that he can do what he does, which is to steal and kill and destroy. The bottom line is God loves life. Satan wants to destroy life. And so he will start with babies and kids because they're sort of easy targets. Number four, Satan wants to destroy kids. Jesus said, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I don't care how culturally accepted it is. It is not nor never will be okay in God's eyes to murder an innocent child. It's not. It's not the will of my father. Now, the will of man has been very different. (laughs) Child sacrifice is not a new idea in the history of civilization. Okay? It's true today. It's true in ancient Rome. It's true, I mean, just go back to almost any civilization, they get to a point where child sacrifice becomes a part of it. That is not God's will. That is the will of Satan. God sees life as good. He sees life as a blessing. See, the truth is that Jesus loves kids. Satan hates them. (laughs) The world despises them. There's kind of this movement now where, you know, people say, yeah, you know, I just don't really want to have kids. I don't want to do it. I just kind of like my me time. That's just it's kind of kind of for me. I kind of like not having to think about anyone else but me. 
but, but God loves kids. Jesus loves kids. The Gospels tell us a couple of different places. I'll share with you one from part of which is on the screen. Uh, now they were, this is Luke chapter 18, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those such as these. Jesus loves kids. Okay, last week I got a young mom that said, I really enjoyed your sermon and sorry I had a fussy baby and couldn't hear all of it and all of that. I said, don't apologize one minute for bringing your little one to church. Don't do it. That's a beautiful sound in the Lord's ears and in ours for little children to be among the church. That's The kingdom should be a... And, will always be at Northside a safe place for kids. Kids are a blessing of God. Babies are good news. This is why when you hear about a baby shower, you should go, well, I don't really know that person. That's okay. There's a new life. That's a blessing. You should bless those who bring new life into the church. It's, it's why we spend so much time and money and resources, and you may not even know this, but we pour into protecting our kids. Like, it is a big deal. You cannot go down there and work with the kids without a background check. And that bothers some people, but I don't know why. Because kids are precious to God and to us. We have cameras all over this building. We build a giant play area out there that the kids will run to after the final amen. And it's focused on with cameras and surrounded by a fence. Because we want our kids to have a safe place to play. And we make no apologies for that. Because the kingdom is for kids. The world's not for kids, increasingly. But the kingdom will always be a place for kids. Okay. So what do we do about that? You say, well, I, I agree with all of that, but I mean, I'm sitting here, what can I do? Number, four, number one, I think it's important that we share the gospel. To the man's question, what about people who've had an abortion? What if you're a woman sitting in the pew? What if you're someone watching online? And you wish you had heard this message long ago. And you wish to God you could undo it, but you can't. And I've talked to people. Redeemed Christians who still carry the weight of their abortion. And to the person who's not in Christ... And even to us, to those of us in Christ, I think this is a wonderful opportunity to share the hope of the gospel. To women who've had an abortion, let me say clearly, you can be forgiven. You can have peace that is inexplicable. Not because you're celebrating your abortion, not because you love it, but because, you, because you've experienced the forgiveness of Christ Jesus. Young men, if you've driven your girlfriend to the clinic, if you've bought the Plan B pills, you can have forgiveness. You don't have to carry that with you anymore. Yes, it's still a sin. Yes, God will always hate the wickedness of abortion. Like all sin, 
It can still be forgiven. It was still paid for at the cross. So only in Jesus can that happen. The young man who said, well, what about people who've had an abortion? I say, tell them about Jesus. Lead them to the cross. Love them. Pray for them. And lead them to Jesus. That's the hope of the church. That's where the church stands. Every work of Satan is an opportunity for redemption. Repentance. Confession. Come to Jesus and be cleansed. Number two. Support life. Maybe you're sitting here unexpectedly pregnant. You've been to Walgreens, you bought the plan B, sitting on the counter at home. And I beg of you, I beg of you, don't do it. A child deserves a shot. Every life matters to God. Your mother, your father gave you a shot. Please. You say, I can't handle a baby right now. I can. Okay. Please let someone adopt it. There's so many people who, would, who cannot have a child. And they would love to love yours. Please. Please reconsider. Please. And if you're a Christian, you should go to baby showers. You should celebrate young moms when they're sitting next to you struggling. You said, here, here, let me take him. Please help them, support them, love them. If you're able to adopt children, do that. I know it's long. I know it's so expensive. It's ridiculous. But if you can't do Maybe you can be a foster parent. Maybe you can provide protection and safety. Maybe you can offer your home. But stand for life. Support life. I mean, it's not just a voting issue. Yes, it is. But, but there's so many things. Look, look, when you walked in the door, there, there was a bin on both ends, not for candy, but for Simple House. You know when you make a donation of food or clothing, you are supporting life. And this is an argument from the other side. Oh, Christians, are, they're, not pro, they're just pro-birth. They're not pro-life, which is factually untrue. The church does more good, more good for hurting moms and hurting families. But we should see those as an opportunity to support life. And we should continue to do those things. And finally, stand for life. It's voting for life, it's supporting pregnancy centers, it's supporting great organizations like Carpenter Place. We have an opportunity in all areas to share the gospel, to support life, and to stand for life. If you're a a mom and you're wrestling with the weight of the heavy things that I've shared today, I want to share with you one last scripture, and that is this. What Jesus said. Take my yoke 
upon you. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's in Jesus that you can find deliverance and hope again. I promise you this. And if you need that this morning, we'd be honored to help you with that. You can head to the back during this next song. Our shepherds will be standing there if you would like them to pray with you. If you're not a Christian, you need to put on Christ in baptism. We'd be honored to help you with that as well. If you need to repent, if you're, if you're just feeling these things and you, you just need to let God work in your heart and in your life, We'd be honored to help you with that. Whether it's that matter or any matter, know that the church always stands ready to help you to the cross because that's where all hope lies. And may we not forget that. In just a minute, we're going to sing. And the first line is, Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. May we sing that here and may we sing it out there to a world that so desperately needs it. If you need that, if you need the gospel, whatever you might need this morning, we'd be honored to help you. Head to the back, meet with one of our shepherds. Jace will now lead us in a song. Let's stand together.